What counts as a war crime or a weapon of war? If you ask Joseph Burrell, who's in charge of foreign policy for the EU, he says it's denying the world access to food. Here he is at a press conference talking about Russia blocking Ukrainian grain. One cannot imagine that uh, millions of tons of wheat remain blocked in Ukraine while in the rest of the world people are suffering hunger. This is a real war crime. Russia is being blamed for worsening world hunger. It's a claim Moscow denies. So what is happening to Ukrainian grain? And what can be done to get the world fed? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Dr. Oleg Nivievsky knows a thing or two about Ukrainian grain, but he also knows about Ukrainian bread. If you ever find yourself at a Ukrainian bakery and can't quite decide what to get, he has a recommendation. Yeah, my favorite type is bread produced from rye. Mm. From rye. Rye, this is a rare grain available in Ukraine. We call it black bread. It's ingrained in Ukrainian culture, he says. It tastes really good. It's not sweet, like wheat bread, though, so kids aren't usually big fans. But adults, especially those that live in, in I think, in villages or even uh, older people, they, they prefer also this black type of bread. Oleg and his family left Ukraine when Russia began its invasion. And a lot of things changed. Least of all, where he eats dinner. I'm not visiting restaurants at the moment. (laughs) But where he is, he still has access to his black bread. Do you look at your food a little bit differently? When you look down at your bread, do you think about things differently? I wouldn't say differently. In Ukraine, we have a special attitude to bread. It's in our genes because back in 1930s, we had a really huge hunger, a holodomor, as we call it, that was artificially instrumented by Russian or Soviet at the time empire. People were starved to death. It's thought up to four million people died in what Ukraine calls the holodomor, killing through hunger. Russia denies the famine was a deliberate attempt to break the independent spirit of Ukrainians. Whenever I see the bread, I always try to be really careful. In 2006, the Ukrainian government declared the Holodomor a genocide of the Ukrainian people. In 2008, the European Parliament recognized it as a crime against humanity. To this day, Oleg probably spends more time than most thinking about bread in Ukraine, Northern Africa, the Middle East, and everywhere else in the world even more than most Ukrainians. Can you explain your relationship with the global food supply chain? Well, by profession, I'm an agricultural economist. I'm a vice president for economic education at Kiev School of Economics. This is my field of expertise, uh, in a sense, and I'm following this issue on a daily basis, especially in this time when Russia invaded Ukraine. I mean, this issue becomes really acute especially how all this stuff is affecting global food security. You've been thinking about this daily. So we've been hearing so much about 
Ukrainian grain affecting the global food chain. Can you quantify that for us? How important is Ukraine to keeping the world fed? Yeah, overall, Ukraine increased substantially grain production. Over the last 10 years, how many people are fed with Ukrainian grain, this number increased from about 40 million people to 400 million people. 400 million people. Wow. 10% of the global market of wheat is basically supplied by Ukraine. In terms of corn, the share is even higher. About 18% of corn global corn trade is supplied by Ukraine. And if you're thinking 10% is not that much, well, Oleg says it is that much when you realize that there isn't that much wheat or corn on the market right now overall. Right now, we are in the period of the relatively low global grain stocks, uh, and that's of tight food supplies at the moment. Food supplies around the world have already been declining because of warming temperatures and the pandemic. More countries across Africa and Asia already suffering food shortages could potentially suffer even more. So if there there is even 10% or 5% of global trade is missing, then it can cause lots of bad things. And, And actually what's happening right now to global food security. So every corn kernel and every grain really matters. Yeah. So can you paint a picture for us how this works from the farmer's field to the table? How does Ukrainian wheat become a Parisian croissant or kubs in Morocco? So we have farmers. We have lots of farmers (laughs) in Ukraine. And the majority of them produce grain because grain is cheap to produce. Uh, in Ukraine, we have uh, sort of problems with the access to capital, and grain is not that capital intensive. So with all of these farms and farmers, there is a lot of grain to be moved. Once the grain is harvested, trucks come to pick it up. Another truck arrives at this farm in the Kiev region of northern Ukraine. The rush is on to empty these silos of last year's harvest of maize, to make space for approximately 35,000 tons of winter wheat. So they collect this grain, store in silos, and then sell this grain to traders, so middle-sized traders, or then to multinational traders like Cargill, ADM, the, the biggest traders that we have uh, across the world. Do you know farmers personally? Do you know people who, who now are, are dealing with this, not only the war, but a complete halt to what the world needs right now. Yeah, I do have lots of friends, farmers, and I talk to them quite often. My uncle, basically, a farmer, they are doing a a great job at the moment, actually, given the circumstances we are in. One farmer Al Jazeera spoke with talked about what he faced during Russia's invasion. Most of our farming land is in the Kherson region, now under Russian occupation. They stole what we'd stocked in our warehouses and in grain elevators. And we will lose the autumn and spring crops. There is a drone video that shows my warehouses burning. We have massive losses. 20% of the country is occupied by Russia and we are constantly under the threat of missiles attacks. And also the territories that were liberated, they are at the moment full of mines. Farmers work in the fields of maize and sunflowers despite the danger of mines and unexploded ordnance. And we've seen lots of 
pictures uh, with tractors which is blown by the mines. Oleg's uncle has been safe so far, and he is harvesting grain. The problem now is getting it where it needs to go. Here's how it worked before the war. The grain is delivered in Ukraine by railways or by trucks or by river. We have the Dnieper River that basically divides Ukraine into two. It looks like pretty much like a Mississippi River in the U.S. So we call it Ukrainian Mississippi. (laughs) And a little bit of grain is delivered by the river to the ports of Mykolaiv. The port of Mykolaiv is almost directly south of Kyiv, just a little to the east, opening up to the Black Sea. Lots of grain were delivered to Mykolaiv and shipped globally to destinations like to Egypt, to Morocco. 90% of Ukrainian grain was shipped by sea. So that's why ports are that much important for Ukraine. At the moment, things are really tough at Mykolaiv, so Mykolaiv port is not that operational right now. What is Russia doing right now to keep Ukrainian wheat from the global market specifically? Very blunt and straightforward thing. They're just blocking Ukrainian ports and they're blocking by threatening with missile attacks and with mines that were planted uh, in the Black Sea. So there were a couple of cases where vessels got blown on those mines and that's how they basically blocked. The risk is really huge in terms of entering the Black Sea and even going out of the Black Sea. So it's basically not possible at the moment. With its Black Sea ports blocked by Russian warships, goods can only travel on congested land routes that are far less efficient. Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, is adamant it's not a blockade and blames the grain blockage on Ukraine failing to remove the mines from the sea. There's lots of speculation on it. The Ukrainian food supply, we're not disrupting it for God's sake. It was not us who mined the Ukrainian ports of the Black Sea. Let them demine it and export it. We will ensure the security of the civilian vessels and escort them. There's no issues here. Oleg disagrees. They are just blocking our ports to the world. There are some alternative routes available at the moment and which are actively developed by Ukraine and partners in the West so that the grain is delivered by railways, by trucks, via the Western borders. But still, at least something, okay? What happens to the grain when the ports are blocked? Does it just sit there and rot? Yeah, yeah. What I know is that about 4 million tons of, of, of grain is basically loaded uh, onto the vessels. So the vessels are waiting there. Uh, up to 100 vessels at the moment are waiting there with grain. Of course, this grain, the quality of grain can only worsen. And uh, the rest is basically kept uh, in storages inside the country. So that leaves Oleg's uncle, like so many farmers, struggling to sell what he's harvested. My uncle, at the moment, uh, they are looking for opportunities to sell corn, and it's not possible because of the, you know, difficulty in terms of logistics and getting the corn out of the country. There have even been accusations of Russia stealing Ukrainian grain. One Ukrainian journalist asked Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, if Russia had sold stolen Ukrainian grain. 
Мы занимаемся to rid East Ukraine of the suppression of the neo-Nazi regime. That's what we're doing. And grain. We've explained today that grain can be transported freely to its destination. Russia isn't putting any obstacles in the way. There are even some accusations that Russia is stealing wheat from Ukraine. What do you know about how accurate that is? Yeah, there are various uh, footages available. You can see videos, pictures of trucks uh, lining up uh, and the grain uh, from Kherson region. So this is the south that has been currently occupied. And this grain has been shipped to either to Crimea, this is further to the south or to the east, uh, to, to the neighboring region of Russia. And these are all documented. There was even a very interesting and famous footage from CNN. These new satellite images show what appear to be the ramping up of theft by Russia of Ukrainian grain being poured into the open hold of a Russian ship. They tracked uh, vessels with Ukrainian grain from Crimea Peninsula to Egypt. Then the port call was rejected by Egypt and then they shipped this grain to Syria, kind of a friendly country. And the government of Ukraine reports at the moment about 400 tons of grain being stolen by Russia. Here's Ukraine's foreign ministry in a tweet. Quote, we demand that Russia stop grain stealing, unquote. Oleg also says in a Russian-controlled part of Ukraine, the local government made a policy of collecting grain. Where the local government issued an order which kind of allowed to collect grain from Ukraine in order to secure food supplies in that region. So that was on the web page of this local government for a day or two. And of course, we started to circulate this uh, evidence of state control robbery, stealing. Uh, and then after two days, it just disappeared from the web page. But still, we do have a screenshot of this and uh, it's, it's already uh, a fact or recorded fact. Documented, yeah. Russia still denies all these claims, and Turkey is also investigating and says they have not found stolen shipments so far. So is this a typical tactic of war? What is Russia getting out of this? I think this is a deliberate usage of food as the war strategy because they are smart and they see that this food as a weapon works. We have to admit that the poor countries, they need to supply the people with food it doesn't matter for them which grain they buy or use, Russian grain or stolen Ukrainian grain. People need to eat. Parts of Kenya, Ethiopia and Somalia are suffering their driest conditions in more than 40 years. More families are going hungry. Egypt is one of the largest importers of wheat in the world, and 80% of its supply is from Ukraine and Russia. It's no different in Lebanon, where authorities warn the central bank may not be able to subsidize bread and Russia has its own grain. It provides the world with 20% of its wheat. Now, with control of Ukraine's wheat, another 10% of the global supply, that's almost a third of the world's wheat, Oleg says. So altogether, 30%. So quite a lot. And I think Russia are using these facts to trade opening up ports in exchange of weakening the sanctions that were imposed to Russia. Is Russia gaining power with the situation as it is now? 
Yeah, I think they are because maybe that wasn't that clear in the very first period of uh, invasion, but now after they realized that they really can impact the prices and impact the discussion about the food, they are getting power. And especially in the current circumstances where, again, every ton of grain counts and they will be using that further. I'm afraid that's not the end of the story. Talks on how to solve this problem are continuing. They include Turkey. Turkey has hosted the Russian foreign minister for talks on resuming shipments of grain trapped at Ukrainian ports. The United Kingdom. The UK's foreign secretary is in Turkey to discuss ways to free up Ukraine's Black Sea ports to allow grain to be shipped out. And according to the UK's foreign secretary, the United Nations. I'm here in Turkey to discuss the plan to get the grain out supported by the United Nations. Talking with Russia right now about grain exports and allowing them, does that give you any hope at all that more grain will reach the market? Russia cannot be a country that could guarantee export of Ukrainian grain. I think this should be other countries like US, UK, France. The coalition of countries could guarantee humanitarian convoys of Ukrainian grain out of the ports. When Russia is part of this story, there is no trust. There is growing evidence that we're likely hitting a global recession. There is inflation, which makes it harder to get what you once did for your money. That's on top of the pandemic. Now there's this war. We're a global world now. What kind of effect does all of this have on a world that's already on edge? And are there places that will go unscathed or will we all be affected? Yeah, some of the countries will have a recession instead of economic growth, and the effect looks to be really substantial. In terms of Ukraine, for instance, because of the war, we expect our GDP shrink by 45%. So basically by a factor of two almost. Wow. Yeah, Russia will shrink, I think, by 10, by 15%. To high-income countries, if the food expenditures is just kind of 10% or 15% of your family budget, that hurts a little bit, but it's not really a life-threatening event. But for low-income countries, where food expenditures are about 70 80%, or 100% of the budgets, I mean, that's a live-or-die case, I would say. And Oleg isn't the only one saying that. There will be increased number of deaths, indeed. Tamara Demoria works with Chorus International. We work in 35-plus countries of the world, implementing both development as well as humanitarian programs and focusing on food security, nutrition, health. She gets food to people who need it around the world. And the shortages of grains are apparent now, she says. We're looking at shortage of wheat and sunflower oil. We're not yet seeing the shortages and deficit of other grains. And then we're looking at increased hunger, increased levels of food insecurity, shortage of even more commodities in different countries that heavily depend on external relations, import and trade. And that situation is going to be catastrophic from a humanitarian perspective. And according to economist and author Raj Patel, who knows food systems well, 
I interned at the World Trade Organization. I worked very briefly for the World Bank. I have worked for nonprofits and tried to support and inform governments around what they should be doing around food systems. There's more than one superpower at fault here. The world has seen grain shortages before. And no one stepped up to strengthen the global food supply to make a change, he says. The last food price spikes in 2008 were associated with protests in Haiti and a change of regime there. In 2010, the Arab Spring was associated with food price spikes. And what we might have done at that point is recognize having much more local grain reserves, having much more in the way of government support for farmers to help build soil fertility, to help uh, manage climate shocks. Maybe we should have invested in that then when it became clear that that was actually a, a viable strategy and a way out of this problem. Unfortunately, um, it, you know, we, we had a sort of doubling down on the international grain trading system sponsored by the United States, a system that is already and very predictably vulnerable, that really prevents countries from having the kinds of domestic supply management systems that allow them to create buffers for this kind of shock. And here we are. So how does this end? Oleg worries about the global grain supply, but he's also just worried about being able to go home and the future of his country still very much at war today. I asked him if he sees any hope. Is there any bouncing back from that? What do you see long term in terms of how Ukraine gets back on its feet once this war is over? It will take a lot of time. Because it's not just about disrupted supply chain and other things. It's really about ruining Ukraine. If you look at the cities or territories that where Russia attacked, just nothing is left there. Mariupol, uh, then now Severodonetsk or Lysychansk, for instance. These are just burned out territories. And it's not going to be easier to come back to pre-war levels. Uh, and it will take a lot of time, years to to come back. And this is really bad for food security, especially taking into account that by 2015, we will be having 2 billion more people uh, living in the world uh, and they have to be fed somehow. And if this security concern is still there, when there are such countries that are threatening with food like a weapon, this rings a bell that has to be dealt with somehow. And every time he bites into a crusty loaf, a chewy pastry, or even his favorite Ukrainian black bread made with rye, it's never far from his mind. Not trying to waste and not and keeping it as much as possible. It's in it deep in my genes. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with Alexandra Locke, Ruby Zaman, Ney Alvarez, Nagin Oliay, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan, and our engagement producers are Aya Al-Milek and Adam Abugad. For more on the global food shortage and what it means for you and me, check out a new animated series I'm hosting called Vantage Point. It's available on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'll pop a link in our episode description. We'll be back.